The Offseason Podcast is presented by Leinen Kugels. Since 1867, Leinen Kugels has been brewing some of the most delicious, refreshing beers around. And right now, get yourself a Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. That's right. Blake's not lying. It's a fuller-bodied brew with hints of cocoa, coffee, and caramel brought out by Roasted Malts. And guys, it's aged in real vanilla. The Line and Kugel's Snowdrift Vanilla Porter is smooth and creamy, making it ideal for winter. And making it ideal for the coldest day of the year. Brutal. So raise one to winter with Line and Kugel's. Welcome to the Liney side. Jacob Line and Kugel Brewing Company, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Please enjoy your Lineys responsibly. Big show, packed show, new football coach at Michigan State, Mel Tucker. Secured the bag on his way to East Lansing uh, this week. We'll get into that. Michigan and Michigan State basketball. Sparty's got a big one in Lansing on Saturday. Rumor mill is flowing, filled with with nuggets and stuff about Matthew Stafford this week. Dave Burkett, kind of the voice of Lions Media, came out and tried to settle those rumors down. But we've got a lot that we want to discuss uh, regarding that. And we have quick hits. Get you ready for this weekend in Michigan sports. Let you know what's coming up in the next couple days on the radio station. So a lot to get to here on this week's episode of the Offseason Podcast. ESPN 100.9 FM presents the Offseason Podcast. Recorded every week inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios, high atop Dow Diamond. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at ESPN1009.com. It is the off-season podcast, episode number 190. Matt DeVries and Blake Fulling with you inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios high atop Dow Diamond. Good to be with you on a Friday night following our SVL Game of the Week coverage presented by Covenant Healthcare. Uh, we recently did an episode on Thursday and that really threw us off. I like it a lot better sitting down on Fridays. Makes it makes it a great way to end the week. Well, I'm sure out of 190, maybe 180 of them on Fridays, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, it's different. It, it feels it feels too different. Uh, no Brad Tunney this week. He's away with the Northwood basketball team down in uh, in Grand Rapids. They played Davenport last night. Um, I saw the men came up just short, four points. Did the How did the women do last the week? The women won. A big win. That's right. So they are playing really well right now and mm-hmm. playing their way back into the GLIAC tournament conversation. Uh, the men came up, I think, four points short last night against uh, the Davenport Panthers down there in Grand Rapids. So no Brad Tunney this week. No Josh Baker as well. So just the duo. Blake, you okay? Feel good about this? I feel great about this. The sports gods gave us plenty to talk about. So yeah. I think it's going to be a, a jam-packed episode. And I think uh, a lot of things that people want to hear about and, and talk about and probably not getting the discussion nationally that uh, that you, you're getting locally. You get it with X's and bros in the huge show, but we also want to bring it to you on Friday nights uh, here on 100.9 FM. So, of course, we lead off with the biggest story in the state this week, and it's Mel Tucker being hired as Michigan State's 25th head coach in football history. Mel Tucker comes from Colorado. He went five and seven in his only season out in Boulder and originally turned down the job, Blake. Uh, he was the one of the first people 
interviewed. He says, thanks, but no thanks. Of course, now with, with him being hired as head coach, everything comes out and people uh, kind of dip back into the history books and, and look at what's happened in the last couple of weeks. He comes out in full support of Colorado and says, I'm committed to what we're building here and, you know, go buffs and, and, and all of that. And then he does a complete 180 and, and comes to Michigan State. And I think he's being raked over the coals a little bit for for originally saying no, but then double downing, doubling down and saying I'm committed to Colorado, and then three days later he's gone. Well, the money talks, yeah. and is it is it Mel Tucker's problem or is it the system's problem? Yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to turn down someone offering to double your salary, right. no matter how much you're making in the first place. So you can talk about loyalty all you want, but money talks, and Michigan State probably overpaid for him, but. I think they kind of needed to based on the position that Mark D'Antonio left them in. Yeah, and and so with with the way he has been kind of ostracized by the Colorado Buffalo fans, I mean, he is he has been uh, you know, really just given the short end of the straw. I mean, anytime something comes out about Mel Tucker, people are piling on saying, "We can't believe this guy left. It was the day after signing day." Well, Part of that needs to fall on Mark D'Antonio, too. He left this program in a lurch. There are rumors flying around of why he left and retired when he did, the athletic department maybe not being all in. you know. And now we're seeing that the assistant coach pool did have the money that maybe Mark D'Antonio wanted but wasn't willing to commit to that money to the people currently on the staff. They wanted new people in those positions. So there was a lot of rumor uh, filling the airspace this week about why Mark D'Antonio left when he did. And I think Michigan State, they had to do this to to save face. It was partially a PR move because if you don't get a guy like Mel Tucker with ties to the university, ties to the Midwest, after Luke Fickle, maybe maybe it's a little harsh to say he embarrassed Michigan State, but certainly kind of gave the look that, wow, Cincinnati is being viewed by by Luke Fickle as a better job than Michigan State. This this had to be done for Michigan State and whether five and a half million is the right number for a guy who hasn't even had one winning season as a head coach, it had to be done. It had to be done. It's not in a vacuum. This is way too high of a number for a guy with Mel Tucker's resume, but because of the timing, because of the situation Michigan State was in, they absolutely needed to do it. And maybe it's just a larger symptom of college football in general. There are a lot of articles talking about how the Pac-12 in general is at such a disadvantage because of how small their TV revenue is compared to the Big Ten and the SEC, and that these Big Ten schools can afford to just poach coaches from a program like Colorado that just could not, simply could not afford to match the offer that Michigan State made to Tucker. I mean, it's it's tough for a school to say, hey, you've been here one year and you went five and seven. We're supposed to make you what, a top 10, top 15 highest paid coach in the country? Mm-hmm. That's pretty risky for a program like Colorado, mm-hmm. not as risky for Michigan State when they're getting all this outside revenue. So the the playing field certainly is not level, and the disparity grows every year, it seems like, and this is just another symptom of that. Now, if Mark D'Antonio leaves in November and announces he's going to retire after the pinstripe bowl and Michigan State can go through the traditional process of finding a replacement 
One, they probably don't have to pay $5.5 million to whoever they're trying to go get. And two, the pool of available coaches and interested coaches would have been far larger and maybe you know to a higher level. You never know who's going to be interested, but coaches have been in place for a couple months now at these new universities or at these universities that have new head coaches in place. So the timing wasn't great. And rightly or wrongly, paying $5.5 million, Michigan State has the money with donors specifically for football. Maybe these other sports in the athletic department are going to feel a little bit slighted saying, wow, you're going to pay $11 million for coaches for the football team alone. You know how much the softball and baseball programs can do with $11 million. I bet their stadium upgrades at McLean stadium didn't even total $11 million. And they're just paying their coaches that for one season of football. But like you said, Playing in the Big Ten, Michigan State was in a position to do that. I don't like the idea of giving so much money to an unproven commodity like Mel Tucker, but the the fact of the matter is the guy has good experience. He's coached under the right people, smart football minds, and if you got to overpay a little bit, so be it. To give Michigan State hope once again, I think that's the biggest thing coming out of all of this is there is... There is, is a cloud has been lifted from, from the program. They have so much to look forward to now. Now, four weeks into the season, if they're one and three, they're going to start looking a little bit differently at the hire of Mel Tucker. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders coming in to, to fill the shoes of Mark D'Antonio. But the, the, the expectation isn't to win a Big Ten title in year one. If he can come in and, and kind of stay par for the course, get to a bowl game and keep building on what was left, from Mark D'Antonio, I think that's all you can ask of him. Well, I think this can go two different ways for Michigan State. Mel Tucker either becomes the next hidden gem in coaching. I mean, how many times do you say, who the heck is that mm-hmm. when someone gets hired and then they turn into a Sean McVay or a Kyle Shanahan or things like that, just Mel Tucker on the defensive side, or he turns into a Brady Hoke type where Michigan State wanted a Michigan State guy They were desperate. They overpaid. He's unproven. One season as a head coach in college. He was an interim head coach in the NFL for the Jaguars. Had losing records in both spots. He is very much unproven on his own. His Mm -hmm. own isolated pedigree is very limited. You could look great as a defensive coordinator at a school like Georgia or Alabama because you have the best of the best athletes in the entire country And you're also working with two of the best head coaches in the country. So your specific shortcomings might not be as visible. So this could either be, he could either be the next biggest thing, or he could just be another Brady Hoke and the cycle of suck, so to speak, (laughs) restarts for Michigan State like it did after the 80s. Yeah, and you're, you're, as a Michigan State fan, thinking back, is this a Bobby Williams or a John L. Smith, or is this a Mark D'Antonio? What are we going to get? He's only been in the head coach for three days. We don't really know the answers to that just yet. So with that, you know, having having the inexperience as a head coach, you would hope when he goes to fill out his staff, he brings in experienced assistant coaches that have knowledge maybe either of the region or are experts in their specific area, quarterback, uh, you know, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, who's going to be calling plays. I think those things are just as important because – and we even saw it, I forget the guy's name, but the, the head recruiter at Kentucky under Mark Stoops. Vince Merrow. Yeah, so the, he went after him initially. Supposedly, Kentucky has matched the offer of Michigan State, and I don't know if the news is out yet. Is it out? Well, 
as of this morning, according to Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio, who has been all over this, Michigan State has come back with a counteroffer that is even larger wow. than the first offer. Which it, which was rumored to be over a million dollars. Right. And this could look really bad because, according to this tweet, which was sent out Friday morning, a decision is expected either later Friday or early Saturday. So by the time everybody's listening to this, we could already have our answer. Point being... If Mel Tucker can reach out with the large pool of money for assistant coaches, top 10 salary pool money for assistants in the entire country at $6 million to be distributed over 10 or 11 guys, as long as he can go out and fill out his staff with resume building type guys that have the experience that we're looking for, I'll feel much better about this instead if, unless he goes and plucks eight of his 11 assistants from Colorado from a team that went five and seven. That That's not a great look, no. and that's taking care of your boys. Now, I'm going to go to my new job, and I'm going to bring all you with me, and we're all going to get paid, but hey, I'm not looking to be five and seven. In the Pac-12, you got to play Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State in this division. This is not... This is not Oregon State. This is not Washington. You know, th- this is this is the big boys in the Big Ten, and, and you got to be able to compete at a high level. So that inexperience as a head coach does worry me, but I want to see what his staff looks like first, and this is the first of, of many big hires for Mel Tucker. We'll see if it comes to fruition. Yeah, I think he does need to make a couple big swings, and I also hope he stays away from the Mark D'Antonio coaching tree. And yes, Mel Tucker technically has worked with Mark D'Antonio in a couple of spots, but I don't think it's enough to consider him a D'Antonio disciple. Mm -hmm. He was a grad assistant when D'Antonio was a defensive backs coach, co-offensive, co-defensive coordinator when D'Antonio was at Ohio State. But I I, I see him as more of a Nick Saban disciple. Saban hired him three separate times in his coaching career. I would say that's a, a pretty ringing endorsement from one of the best evaluators of talent college football has ever seen i want all of these assistant coaches to have no ties to michigan state i want this to be a 100 percent reset of the program because that's exactly what it needs no stale ideas no loyalty to the past regime you have to do things completely differently and stop the momentum of mediocrity that is starting to grow in east lansing Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, uh, who covers Michigan State Athletics, did have the story on Thursday night late that uh, reportedly, according to sources, Mel Tucker will not be bringing back any of Mark D'Antonio's assistant coaches. That doesn't mean things can't change and he brings back some of these names, but that means offensive coordinator Brad Salem, defensive coordinator Mike Tressel, quarterbacks coach Dave Warner, Offensive line, Jim Bowman. These are all names that have been associated with this program for a long time. Don Treadwell in his second stint on a Mark D'Antonio staff. Mark Staten has been a part of this program for a long time. Chuck Bulla, the defensive ends coach, the Bulla name synonymous with Michigan State football. You know, Terrence Samuel already left to go to UNLV to be the passing game coordinator. Ron Burton, who had uh, been a great recruiter for the Michigan State program, reportedly has been hired by Indiana. So a lot of these names were on the staff when Michigan State won a Rose Bowl, when they went to the college football playoff, which kind of begs the question, and we don't have to get too into it, but what happened? You know, they were so they were so good, and then all of a sudden there's this huge dip, and you can't get it back. Is it an aging Mark D'Antonio not wanting to get out on the recruiting trail? Did that really hurt the program as much, going out and selling them on Michigan State and not the coaching staff and, and himself as a head coach? Because D'Antonio even said as much when he retired. I got tired of telling players 
or, or spinning it because I wasn't going to be there. I couldn't guarantee that I was going to be there for four or five more years. And maybe that was why the talent started to dip a little bit. And of course, you know, the, the off the field uh, issues with, uh, with that famous 2016 class that, that turned out to be uh, very detrimental to the life of the, the program. Continuity is great, but when you stay the same because you're just comfortable then you start to get fat and happy. And I think that's what started to happen at Michigan State because those coaches knew their jobs were not in any danger as long as their boy, Mark D'Antonio, was protecting them. So many times on all great college football staffs, there is tons of turnover because other teams want that brain power. Was anybody coming after those Michigan State assistants? Yeah. Maybe they were Maybe they behind were. closed doors and they said no, but... There were never any overtures for Brad Salem to take over the offense for another high-level program. Nobody wanted those guys, mm -hmm. and, and maybe that was the problem with Michigan State. They got comfortable. I don't want to say they got lazy, but they got set in their ways, and college football is always evolving, and if you don't evolve with it, you're going to be left behind, and that's what happened to Michigan State. Well, and maybe the likes of UNLV and Indiana have come calling in past years, but they said... I like it here at Michigan State, and we never heard about any of those overtures for trying to get some of these coaches to leave for jobs that maybe weren't on the same level or viewed nationally as they were with Michigan State. And now Terrence Samuel and Ron Burton are like, fine, I'm out. I'm going to Indiana. I'm going to UNLV. I need a, I need a fresh start. Uh, just a quick background in case, and maybe we should have done this off the top, but in, in case you, you aren't as familiar with the situation, Mel Tucker played for Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin in the 90s, a defensive back, then was the GA under Nick Saban for two years at Michigan State in 97 and 98. There is the tie to East Lansing, and that's one of the main reasons why Michigan State targeted Mel Tucker from the get-go. Of course, he is from the Midwest, four years at Ohio State, uh, won a national championship in 02, four years with the Cleveland Browns, four with the Jaguars, but then starting in 2013, this is what the knock on Mel Tucker is. Two years at the Bears, Worked for Alabama, won a national championship in 15, a couple years at Georgia, but then one year at Colorado, and now he's gone again. There is a worry out there that Mel Tucker doesn't know how to stay in one place for too long. Building something isn't easy. It is going to be hard, and Mel Tucker needs to be given time at Michigan State. We're talking four or five years. There needs to be a long leash on him because any coach in college football needs to be given an opportunity to bring their own players in. If it doesn't work... The easy excuse in the scapegoat can be, I didn't recruit these guys. I'm doing the best that I can with what I've been given. But ultimately, if you're a winner in college football, it usually doesn't take that long. It doesn't take five or six years to get your own guys. If you're a good enough coach and you bring in the right type of guys to be on your staff, you're going to be able to do a lot with not as much, especially at a place like Michigan State. And I think Tucker is a leaper, but... I think he goes, tries to find better opportunities each time. And if he's going to find a better opportunity from Michigan State, it means that he's winning at Michigan State. Sure. Because you're not going to go to a higher program than Michigan State by going 6-6 six and six every year. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Oklahomas and the Alabamas aren't going to call you to be their next head coach if you're only average in East Lansing. So if Mel Tucker gives Michigan State three or four years – he increases the win total each year, and then he goes for a bigger program. Sure, you want him to stick around as long as Mark D'Antonio does in a perfect world, but that means that he rejuvenated the program, and then he moves on. And then, once again, he leaves you in a better spot than when he arrived. So I would be okay if he gives you three years, wins seven games 
eight games and 11 games or something like that, and then bolts, you know? For, for, the, for the longest time, Michigan State was viewed as a stepping stone, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of a stepping stone right now. We just got maybe lucky or used to the idea of Mark D'Antonio always being there, mm-hmm. but right now, it is not on that elite level where there is nothing above it. There are plenty of programs above Michigan State that Mel Tucker could leap to if he has immediate success in East Lansing. Six years, $33 million for Mel Tucker. That's $5.5 million a year. 3.8 in base salary, $1.2 million in supplemental pay, and then an annual $400,000 retention bonus. Add it all up. $5.5 million for Mel Tucker to be the head coach at Michigan State. We do want to get to his expectations for year one. I do want to throw this out there real quick. You had this uh, on the rundown. I saw this as well. Drew Person, he's in the Cowboys Ring of Honor. He is uh, one of the greats from down there in Texas in football. He took to Twitter because, was it his son or his grandson? It's his grandson. He says, Mel, Tyker, Mel Tucker's a con man. He recruited my grandson to go to CU, said he wasn't going anywhere, then ups and leaves. Sat there and lied to my face. He wasn't going anywhere. Is Mel Tucker a con man, as Drew uh, Pearson says? And he's not. I think everybody in college football is a little bit of a con yeah. man. You're you're committed to that program until someone else commits more money to you. Right. And that's just the nature of the beast and why it's so unfair for these players. Oh, yeah, as, 100%. Every player should be able to transfer as many times as he wants for any sport. They, there should not be a sit-out rule, no specific loopholes with grad transfers, or you shouldn't have to hire a lawyer to be able to, to leave because, because of something happening at your program. Like, if coaches can do this, why can't players? And that's why all these players are always heartbroken when their coach leaves the next day because they got a better offer. And I'm not saying Alabama should be able to go into a school like Colorado and say, hey, we'll make you a starter if you leave. But when something like this does happen, players should have the freedom to move as many times as they want to find the right fit for them. That would happen. The best quarterback in the country somehow plays at Boise State, Alabama's going to go get him. I mean, it would turn into the wild, wild west in a way. So there has to be, it has to be a little more thought out than that. But I do agree with the sentiment that it's not fair that coaches can up and leave and players cannot. If there is a situation that warrants them uh, an opportunity to leave, you know, I think that's that's 100% okay, and the NCAA needs to seriously look at that. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, what what is the goal of college athletics? It's to help enrich the lives of the student-athletes. And if their best opportunity is leaving for Alabama, why should you stop them when their coach could leave for Alabama the next day? Alabama can only play 11 people on offense and 11 people on right. defense. I mean, there's only going to be so many spots, and it's up to that individual if you want to jeopardize your future by betting on yourself to go play at Alabama or LSU or Clemson, by all means, go for it. But you can be a four-year starter at Michigan State, and you can certainly be drafted in the first round by playing at Penn State and Wisconsin. That is completely up to you on what you want to make your decision to be. And you got also, the school has to want you. Right. You can't just transfer there and exactly. jump onto the football program. There has to be, has to be a two-way street. That's the counter-argument to, oh, Alabama and LSU would just grab all the top players. There are only so many spots, only and so that's going to be a re, re-trickle-down effect to the rest of the programs, and it would even out. So Mel Tucker, first year at Michigan State, uh, what's the expectation for him heading into the, the 2020 season? Is it uh, make a bowl game, or, or where do we think uh, success mm. is going to be uh, gauged by for, uh, for Mel Tucker at Michigan State? I mean, 
the the talent cupboard, as Brad mentioned last week, is pretty empty mm-hmm. for Michigan State. You do get the transfer wide receiver from Western Michigan, who was an All-American as a freshman two years ago, sat out last year. So that's a big boost to the offense. But who's your quarterback? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be Rocky Lombardi, who has been average at best in his spot starts? Is it going to be Theo Day, who's played about 10 snaps in his career and got pulled from a game already? They have no answer at quarterback. They lose depth at wide receiver. Their offensive line was a revolving door last year. Elijah Collins was a bright spot offensively. And then defensively, there was a massive talent drop-off due to graduation. You lose Kenny Willekes, Raekwon Williams, Joe Bocci, others in that secondary as well. So, I mean, this is like a brand-new team. And look at the fact that Michigan State's recruiting classes have been slipping the past couple years. I mean, I think you have to be okay with the thought that the ceiling for this team might be seven and five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look at the fact that they play a brutal schedule. Yes, I'm about to get to that. I, I think, you know, the hope can be seven or eight wins, but I think the realistic expectation is if Mel Tucker can go six and six, if he can win half of his games in year one, improve on what he did at Colorado in the Big Ten and get Michigan State to a bowl game, I think that would be the realistic hope and expectation, at least baseline, for Michigan State and Mel Tucker in year one. Hey, welcome to the Big Ten, Mel. You play Northwestern in week one. You know, Labor Day is late, Saturday, September 5th, first week of the season, Northwestern comes to East Lansing. Going to be rocking at Spartan Stadium. I bet it's going to be full. Big Ten opener, first game of the year, hope at an all-time high in the Mel Tucker era. And then, oh, by the way, the next week, go out to Utah. Go to Provo and play at BYU. <sighs> That's who Michigan State has in week two. Going to be a difficult game. Toledo may be one of the three or four best teams in the Mid-American Conference year in and year out coming in in week three. You could fall to a a non-power five team in week three. You welcome in the Miami Hurricanes to Spartan Stadium in week four. And then, by the way, weeks five, six, and seven at Iowa. And then you welcome in Michigan and Ohio State the next two weeks. Talk about a terrible start to your career. But guess what? Hey, Mel, buckle up, baby. This is life at Michigan State. This is what happens. And in the power five... In the Big Ten, in a big money conference, you're going to get one or two middle to lower tier non-conference games, but you're going to play a big time opponent in the non-conference. You have to, in order to compete with the college football playoff committee for bowl games, you have to play a big time opponent, and they're doing that this year against the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, I knew the schedule was bad, but looking at it again, like, is four wins out of the realm of possibility? It's not out of the realm. I mean, four or five, I mean, it could very well happen. I mean, this is just brutal. You you host, or you go at Iowa versus Michigan versus Ohio State, then at Indiana, who is no slouch. Then you host Minnesota, who's mm-hmm. coming off their best year. Then at Penn State, I mean, you'd this, like things to, could get ugly. You'd like to have the 2021 non-con. Youngstown State and Western Kentucky at home, and then you go to Miami. Nice test on the road, but maybe two winnable games mm-hmm. at home. But, hey. Yikes. 2020, September. Get your tickets now. September is going to be flying in Michigan State football already. Mm. Three, three out of four at home, and you got a tough road trip out to BYU. At the end of the day, Mel Tucker, six years, $33 million. He is your new head coach in East Lansing at Michigan State. Shifted over to the hardwood next here on the Offseason Podcast. 
We're back here on the Offseason Podcast. That's episode 190 here on your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling with you inside the studios high atop Dowd. I'm in downtown Midland. Hopefully you're staying warm. Hopefully your furnace is working at home into the single digits the last couple days. Uh, if there is any uh, possibility of ice out there, make sure you're taking it nice and slow on the roads out there as you get your weekend started. And oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, Blake. Hey, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Doing anything special? Uh, high school basketball. <laughs> Good. You have That's any of those candy hearts? You're going to be handing out candy hearts at the basketball game? No. no. Might be a little weird. 24-year-old guy going to a high school handing out those hearts. Yep, handing out candy at a high school would just, not be a, Just going to avoid that altogether. Probably a smart move. Uh, just got done talking about Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Uh, lengthy opening segment on uh, the hiring, what Mel Tucker did to get here, leaving Colorado after one year and after the day after signing day and, and the whole bit. So if you missed it, check it out on the podcast version of the show. You can get it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, just search the offseason podcast. Michigan and Michigan State basketball now takes uh, takes center stage and under the spotlight here on the show. And you want to kind of take the big picture look first before we talk college game day, before we talk uh, the 2000 National Championship team coming back, so coming back to campus, a big recruit going to be on campus this weekend for Michigan State as they host number nine, Maryland. But we take big picture look here. The win for Michigan State against Illinois was big. You know, last second win, Cassius Winston says it wasn't a pass. It was a terrible shot. Xavier Tillman comes in, offensive rebound, slams it home. Michigan State wins. Thankfully, DeSumo for Illinois isn't seriously injured. Hopefully, he's going to be able to be back on the floor very soon because that looked very scary at the end of the game. So with that all in place, Michigan State 17-8, and 9-5 and in the Big Ten. This goes a long way this weekend against Maryland. They have two games, a home-and-home home with Maryland left. Uh, they're sitting behind them in the standings a little bit, but still Michigan State in position if they win the games that they need to, especially that road one at Penn State coming up, they could vault themselves into the serious contention of a Big Ten title in the regular season. Michigan, on the other hand, would you say squarely on the bubble, 15 and 9, 6 and 7, or are they kind of are they in and not close to the bubble just yet? Because we're kind of thinking big picture. Next month, what needs to be done for both of these programs to make sure that they're both in the NCAA tournament and for Michigan State, what do they need to do to vault themselves into that conversation? Well, we could start with Michigan first if you want. Uh, they are solidly in right now thanks to the win against Michigan State. I and think, the wins in the in the early part of the season as well. Correct. That helps as well, and you can't forget that. So I think they're solidly in right now. And you look at the fact the rest of Michigan's schedule – all against teams that are either solidly in or fighting for a spot just like they are. Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Maryland, with mm -hmm. a game against Nebraska in there as well, and they're terrible. Mm -hmm. So, like, you win three of those games, and your resume gets boosted even more. Now, that also, that stretch has a chance to be disastrous sure. for Michigan as well, but they have everything in front of them. They control their own destiny because of how difficult the close to their schedule is. Well, you got to go to the rack and play at Rutgers. That's not easy this year. You go to Mackey and play Purdue. Oof. That's going to be tough on national television. Luckily, it's in the afternoon and it's not a night game, but still, regardless, at Mackey, never easy. At Ohio State isn't as scary as it maybe was going to be at the beginning of the year, but ending the year in College Park at Maryland, national television, last, last day of the regular season. There could be a lot riding on that, and I think if you get – three losses out of this last stretch. If you can limit it to three losses, you go into the conference tournament with 12 losses, and then you 
don't win the, the the Big Ten tournament, maybe get a win or two in there, but then you bow out before winning the title. If you're a 13-loss Michigan, but with the resume and the wins over Michigan State and the other wins you have in the non-conference, I think a 13-loss Michigan going to be in, especially with the conference that they play in, the strength of the Big Ten top to bottom, except maybe a Northwestern and, and Nebraska right at the bottom. I mean, a lot of people are putting 10, 11 Big Ten teams into the NCAA tournament if it started today. Right, and remember a month ago or so, we looked at the Kempom ratings for how many teams were in the top 30 or top 40 from the Big Ten, and it's the same right now as you look at it. It's unbelievable how top or how bunched together the Big Ten is. 12 teams are within four games right of first place right now in the conference. If you look at the Kempom ratings, between 9 and and 12, that's all Big Ten teams. Michigan State at nine overall, then Maryland, Penn State, and Ohio State all right next to each other, smushed in there. Purdue 19th in the nation in Ken Palm, despite having 11 losses, and Michigan is 20th in the nation. And we're talking about them being a potential bubble team. That just shows that their record maybe doesn't indicate how good they are or how good they would be in any other conference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think... Even maybe with me saying a 13-loss Michigan gets in easily, maybe a 14-loss Michigan even gets in. Based on the resume, I mean, you can't knock a team for playing a really tough schedule and playing a lot of top-end opponents and playing in a really good conference. You're challenging yourselves night in and night out. You throw Michigan in the ACC or you throw them in the Big East, it's a completely different conversation, and they're probably not sitting with 13 Mm -hmm. or 14 losses. Before we get to big picture and what's left on the table for Michigan State, I do want to touch on two teams really quickly. Iowa, a top 25 team, and Iowa maybe has the best player in the country, or in the Big Ten at least, in Luka Garza. The guy is ridiculous, averaging 24 points per game and 10 rebounds per. Last last time out, who did he, who they play? They played Indiana. Here's his line. 38 points, 8 rebounds, 4 blocks. That's insane. Played 40 minutes, shot 64% from the floor against Nebraska. He had 22 and 8, shot 70% from the floor. I think we had Adam Jackson on a couple weeks ago and he brought up Luca Garza as well. Maybe the least talked about player in the country with the bushiest eyebrows out of anybody. <laughs> this guy could be play, this guy could be a first team all-American with these type of numbers playing in the Big 10 playing in Iowa, not not a sexy school, not a school that's going to be talked about nationally as much. But 24 and 10, shooting 56% from the field, those are insane numbers. Yeah, he is a beast. And unfortunately, he doesn't have a lot of elite talent around him. Mm-hmm. Put Luca Garza on a team like Michigan State, or even put him on Michigan right. and think of how elevated they would be. And that's kind of his problem. He's kind of stuck in no man's land uh, out there in Iowa City, like you mentioned. So, yeah, he should be. He should be the front runner for Big Ten Player of the Year, probably. Probably, yeah. And and I know, you know, there's going to be arguments out there for, um, you know, Cassius Winston. Obviously, people in this state are going to throw out Cassius Winston or Xavier Simpson or, or those guys. But Luca Garza should be the front runner and, and probably should have a stranglehold on the award right now. And and I don't think anybody should should come close to touching him. And the other one is Penn State. Can you remember? Those games at Bryce Jordan and seeing, you could see seats empty on the normal TV view. Like the ends were empty. Nobody was showing up. You mentioned it or you were motioning. The curtain was over the upper deck. I mean, nobody was going to Penn State games. Even as as, as recently as last year or two years ago, 
Penn State 19 and 5, 9 and 4 in the Big Ten. And you look at their non-conference schedule, was it maybe a little cushy? I don't know. They played Ole Miss, lost by two. They beat Syracuse. They beat Wake. They won at Georgetown. I mean, that that's a pretty decent. They won against Alabama. Alabama knocked off Auburn earlier this year. Those are some legitimate opponents in the non-conference. This isn't an inflated 19-5 and record by Pat Chambers. Penn State deservedly in the top 15 and going to be maybe one of the top four seeds in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they are amazing. And I'm, I'm happy to see them finally have some kind of winning because we knew Pat Chambers is a good coach and you just needed to have some kind of talent. There's no history of basketball at Penn State, so mm-hmm. it's tough to recruit there. Now he's finally starting to rack up the marquee wins at Michigan State being one of the biggest ones. And how about winning at Purdue right. by 12 after, I mean, Purdue is just the weirdest team in the Big Ten, right? I mean, they are just so bipolar. The way they can blow the doors off of a team like Michigan State, uh, and even at home, and then they lose the next game against Illinois. You know, they crush a team like Wisconsin. They destroy Iowa and then lose at home to Penn State. I mean, you just don't know what to expect, and that's why I mentioned in the Ken Palm ratings, they've got 11 losses. They're only three games above 500, yet they're ranked as the 19th team in the country. Yeah, and that's what's great about Ken Palm. It takes into account everything. It doesn't just look at your record and say, wow, you've got a terrible record. We're going to knock you down the ratings. No, who have you played? Who have you beaten? Where have you beaten them? It takes it all into account. Penn State at one point had lost three in a row, lost at Rutgers, home to Wisconsin, at Minnesota, but then now they've rattled off seven in a row. They beat Ohio State when they were ranked in the top 25, went to Michigan and won. They beat Michigan State at Breslin, and yes, they won at Mackey this week as well, and they host Northwestern this weekend. They could make it eight in a row. Lamar Stevens averaging 17 and a half points per game. Penn State is legit, and I think given time, Nebraska could turn into a Penn State as well with Fred Hoiberg there, the job that he did at Iowa State. You know, Iowa State, much more of a rich basketball history than at Nebraska, but still he goes there in the Big Ten, new facilities there, beautiful arena. Given time, I think Fred Hoiberg, three, four, five years down the road, could have them on a level of a Penn State and competing at a high level. And that only means good things for the Big Ten. Top to bottom, I think this conference could be very, very good. We get to Michigan State now, and they have a big one coming up this weekend. It starts with Maryland, and then the schedule goes on and on for Michigan State. They go to Nebraska, then they've got Iowa, Maryland, Penn State, and Ohio State to close out the regular season. That is big-time opponents after big-time opponent. And they've got to win some of these games to really boost up that resume. They want to be one of those top four seeds in the Big Ten tournament. And they want to try and challenge Maryland and Penn State and Illinois for a Big Ten title. Yeah, and they're right there. One and a half games out of first place right now. And you have Maryland twice, as you mentioned, so you can make up ground there possibly. The only question is, which Michigan State team is going to show up night after night? Right. And, And the problem, why they are so inconsistent despite having... Cassius Winston back again and Xavier Tillman back again is look at the role players from last year. The two best role players were Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins, and they were both seniors. This year, your two key role players, I think, are Rocket Watts and Malik Hall, and they're freshmen. So when you have to rely on freshmen in the same spots that you relied on seniors from a year ago, you're going to get 17-point deficits in the first 10 minutes of the game, and you're also going to get 25-point wins in the same season and sometimes in the same week. 
you're going to get games like the Illinois one from a couple nights ago where they opened up a 20-point lead and then lost it in the second half only to win dramatically just because freshmen are so wildly inconsistent compared to the rocks that Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins were last year. That's why when we get to later on in this this segment, it's just so hard to project where Michigan State is going to be in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. And this weekend, they're honoring the 2000 National Championship team. They're going to wear the throwback unis, originally designed by Reebok 20 years ago, and now Nike's name is on them, and they are uh, famous for wearing those very unique uniforms with a unique font on the front. They were they were being auctioned off on social media and doing giveaways this week, and I think they're going to look really sweet out on the floor on Saturday night. College game day going to be there for this game against Maryland. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Mel Tucker, not only is he dropping the puck at Munn tonight for Michigan, Michigan State in hockey, he will be reportedly a guest on college game day on Saturday morning. Um, so he's going to be in the spotlight to introduce him to the country as Michigan State's head coach. And oh, by the way, Imani Bates is going to be in the building as well. That's Woo! huge. It won't mean anything. He's going to the NBA, <laughs> but it's still nice, yeah. right, to have the best player in the country in the building for maybe the biggest game of the season. Mm-hmm. I also have a hot take about those throwback jerseys. We only love them because Michigan State was good while they wore them. Mm-hmm. Objectively, I think they are ugly. I think they are way worse than the script state ones, like the throwbacks from Magic that they've been bringing back all the time. They're uglier than their current jerseys. They're uglier than the uh, the... I don't even know what you want to call it, the late 2000s ones, the Kalen Lucas jerseys, mm-hmm. the piping, if you will, of the state. Like, they're bad. They're better than the neons. They are better than the neons, but we only love them because the memories attached to them, which and, is fine. And that's totally fine. Which is fine, but I'm just saying, they're ugly. They are the closest to Spartan-era-esque as like dating back to old Sparta with the with the Greek kind of like designs on the piping and things. So I do think that there is something to that. No one cares about the jersey design that we're talking about right now in very much detail. So I do think they look cool. I like them because my brother and I each had a pair of shorts back in the day when they first won it in 2000. So a lot of nostalgia coming back for me. So I do think that I don't think they're going to be around much. I think this may be a one-off potentially, but they're better than the than the uh, one-offs that Michigan State wore in football this year with that ugly Ooh. block state across Ooh. the top. That was Ooh. pretty terrible. Maybe one of the worst jerseys in Michigan State history. Those were mm-hmm. those were awful. Ceiling for Michigan and Michigan State as we close it up. What's the uh, what's the ceiling for uh, for both these programs? Let's start with Michigan. Uh, I think they're a little easier to pin down. The ceiling for them, I think, is a Sweet Sixteen appearance, mm. and I think that's because they are so good when Isaiah Livers is in the rotation. And as long as he stays healthy, that's going to be the big key. He's only going to get better. Michigan right now 11-4 and with Isaiah Livers, and two of those losses were to Oregon in overtime and on the road at Louisville, two of the best teams in the nation. So, And they're 4-5 and without him. He's got the best net rating on the team, best offensive rating. Like, he is their... For, for whatever reason, he's a great shooter. He is their most important player right now. I think his presence might be even more important than Xavier Simpson because of the impact he is having on these games lately. They just lack an offensive shooter, a creator, when he's off the floor. So if he stays healthy for the rest of the season, can build up that win, build up the cohesiveness with the rest of the team, I think this could be a sweet 16 team. 
I could uh, I could get on board with that. I think with Isaiah Livers healthy, playing at a high level, they're getting production out of their bigs down low. I think Michigan uh, could start to look more and more like that team we saw early in the year, just playing with tons of confidence and nothing to lose in the first couple games with, with Jawan Howard. I think the ceiling, if, if the bottom falls out of this program, they could they could miss the tournament if they don't take care of their business uh, in, in at the end of the regular season. And as long as they can uh, win the games they're supposed to in the Big Ten tournament, you know, get through that first and maybe second round, get into those quarterfinal games, I think that could do a lot for their resume. And, and for Michigan State, are you going to throw out the, the the phrase Final Four? Like, are they good enough to do that? Or with the inexperience of the freshmen and the young players and too much being put on the shoulders of Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston, how far can this team go? In a vacuum, if they play perfect, because that's the idea of ceiling and floor, mm-hmm. Michigan State could be a Final Four team. I think even at their best, they can't win a national championship. But if you get Cassius Winston playing at his best, which rivals any player in the entire country. You get Xavier Tillman, who becomes a defensive stopper and a second key piece offensively, and you get the freshman producing. If Rocket Watts can give you even 12 points per game, that would be huge. If Malik Hall can stretch the floor for you, be like a a Kenny Goins light. And, And most importantly, if you can get consistent Aaron Henry throughout the tournament run, they can make it back to the Final Four. But I don't think you're you're going to get that all at once for six straight games or however long you think they're going to go. And that's why I think Michigan State's floor is losing in the first round. Mm-hmm. I think that could I, I think it's equally as likely that they lose in the first round as it is that they make it to the final four. That's how much swing I see with Michigan State. If the shots don't fall for them right out of the gate and they're not able to knock down threes the way they did in the first half against Illinois, if they come out with a cold shooting day and and we're talking like you know, two of two of thirteen in the first half, and it's just brick city everywhere. That's a Middle Tennessee State all over again. I mean, you no matter the seed that they get, whether on the they're on the four line, the five line, if they fall to the six or the seven, depending on how the rest of the regular season goes in the Big Ten tournament, you get Michigan State in a six eleven or a seven ten. I mean, that could be that's a team that's playing well, that was on the bubble, that maybe played well in the in their conference tournament, and they are rolling. And especially in the NCAA tournament, everybody's earned their way there. Nobody has gifted a spot in the NCAA tournament. This isn't like playing in a postseason bowl game where you get a Wake Forest and Michigan State playing each other in the postseason. These are all legitimate teams that got here for a reason. And especially in that 10, 11, 12 range, usually a conference tournament champion from one of these smaller conferences is waiting for you there. Right. And right now, according to Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, he has Michigan State as a five seed, okay. which might be the worst seed to ever be in the tournament because <laughs> you get 12. that red hot 12 seed. Yeah. That's why there's so many upsets with that pairing because it's usually either a small conference champion or a, a bubble team that made a push late to get into the tournament. Mm-hmm. They usually have more momentum than that five seed. That's where I think the floor could be for Michigan State getting upset there in the first round. Matthew Stafford was in the news this week and for reasons that weren't even his fault. It was just a local report in Detroit that got some traction and everyone started to freak out. We talk about that next here on the Offseason Podcast. Matthew Stafford in the news for the Detroit Lions and for all of the reasons you wouldn't or maybe would expect back here on the offseason podcast ESPN 100.9 FM Matt DeVries Blake Froling with you inside the studios in downtown Midland high atop Dow Diamond 
Matthew Stafford, rumors circulated according to Channel 4 in Detroit yesterday, Thursday morning. Matthew Stafford being shopped on the trade market by the Detroit Lions. Dave Burkett with a follow-up report within a couple hours. Sources, including Bob Quinn, supposedly on record saying that is 100% false. So, first of all, where do you want to go with this? I don't know. WDIV would not just post this with with no information, right? Like they no, wouldn't. I'm I'm I'm. Well, my guess is, and I haven't looked into it too deep. I've been consumed with Mel Tucker news for a couple of days. Um, I'm assuming they heard from some other team. Hey, we heard Stafford might be available, and then they took that as Matthew Stafford's being shopped as a trade piece, and it's like, well, no, that's not. They may have said, hey, we'd, we'd be open to listening, but we're not shopping him. You never know. When's the last time WDIV has broken any news never. sports-wise of any kind? Never. That's why it seems weird. I want the free press or the news to break it. Right. They don't even have any presence, it seems like, with anything Lions-related. Then all of a sudden they drop this, and then they have the rebuttal to everyone calling their report fake news, basically, which, was, which made them look even worse. Part of their... Uh, rebuttal said quote we find tremendous validity in what we are reporting because of what kelly stafford posted on instagram oh my gosh so because kelly stafford mentioned the chargers after this report came out oh that means we were right we got it guys that's all the evidence you need because everything posted on instagram is 100 percent factual i i just don't i inherently don't trust wdiv because they have no track record of covering these things. Yes. And so we get into the nitty gritty of, okay, let's say the Lions were going to shop Matthew Stafford. Spotrack on Twitter, great follow for any sort of contract thing or any sort of news you'd be looking for to the business side and the money side of, of sports in general. They tweet out saying, trading Matthew Stafford would leave behind $32 million in dead cap to the Lions, a loss of $10.7 million in cap space. Detroit has already restructured and paid out a $6 million bonus to Matthew Stafford this season. Why would they shell out $6 million in a bonus to a guy that they want to trade? They end the tweet. I didn't put it in here, but they end it saying, he's not going anywhere. Matthew Stafford will be a quarterback for the Lions. Whether he's playing or not, he will be on the roster of the Detroit Lions at the start of the 2020 season. And I tend to agree with them. Right. Usually when you cut these high-profile, high-money-making guys, it's because you could have cap savings as a result that you could put elsewhere. Why would you cut a guy who's your best player that would also give you less flexibility? The argument against Stafford has always been, well, he costs too much, even though he's really good, it hampers your ability to build a team around him. But then you take him away, you're already worse. And then you have less space to work with, so you're even, even worse. Mm -hmm. So it it just doesn't make sense this year. Mm. Keyword, this year, it does not make sense. We'll get to your theory in just a moment. I do want to get the rebuttal out there from the guy that everybody trusts, or at least that I trust the most, and I would think Blake does as well, Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, don't know why this guy has stayed in Detroit as long as he has. He should be a national NFL writer by now, but he does contribute to pro football focus from time to time, and maybe family things have, have kept him to Detroit. But he is. we are very fortunate to have a guy like Dave Burkett covering the Detroit Lions the way he does for the Free Press. He gives you a four-part reason why Matthew Stafford is going to be staying put and not going to be traded. And this has been circulated by Chris Burke from The Athletic. 
all of these people that cover the Lions from uh, day in and day out have these same reasons. One, the Lions are trying to win now. That's evidenced by Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn both being in place and trying to get the right pieces, investing money into the team. They are trying to win now, and their best bet to win now is having Matthew Stafford at quarterback. They restructured his deal in December for a bigger cap hit in the event of a trade. There's no guarantee you get to a tongue of Iloa from Alabama at number three in the draft anyways. And Bob Quinn says the rumor is 100% false. Pretty good reasons mm-hmm. why Matthew Stafford wouldn't be getting traded uh, this offseason. So with all of that out now, you can argue that you want Matthew Stafford traded or not. That's not really the discussion we were trying to have today, even though there is someone in the office that now works for the radio station and helps us with all of our business and traffic needs. Uh, we can keep him remained nameless. You can find his name out there if you really Andrew want to Andrew Booms. He wants Matthew Stafford traded, and you had a very heated argument with him yesterday, but you have some theories, some things you'd like to share regarding Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions. So this whole thing is, this is a weird report. Why would the Lions trade Stafford because of all the negatives? Well, what if it wasn't the Lions floating this rumor? What if it was Matthew Stafford himself or someone in the Matthew Stafford camp who started this rumor. Okay. What if he is the one who wants to be traded? Okay. Now, this is not me thinking this. This is Pro Football Talk, who has taken this report and also mentioned that Kelly Stafford was interviewed by WDIV a year ago. Maybe she was the source that was listed as sources close to Stafford. And maybe that's why they also referenced the Kelly Stafford Instagram post. That is his tinfoil hat theory. (laughs) that Kelly Stafford is the leak because either she or she and Matt both want out of Detroit. Hmm. And if that's the case, then the Lions are really screwed because they would lose cap flexibility and they would get worse. At least you know who you're going to draft with the number three pick. But again, no guarantee that Tua would be available at three. No guarantee that he'd be able to play right away in year one. So Tua is not available at three. Bummer. Guess it's Joe Burrow or Chase Young. Sorry, I mean, we're going to get somebody at number Right, but three. I'm saying, like, then who's your quarterback? Whatever. Like, you could have Chase Young, but... They figure it out, but, I mean, if your defense is holding people to 10 points a game and Chase Young's getting six sacks a game, I don't care. I don't it think that would t- happen, but... You never know. So, uh, interesting. Uh, I So, on that, the Staffords seem like your prototypical all-American family. Cute daughters, cute kids, um, you know... Very likable wife, just went through a very traumatic health scare, has come through by many accounts. She's doing very well uh, considering the circumstances. Matthew Stafford seems to be like all-American dad, like perfect husband. They're visiting families like they do every single year around Christmas time, like surprising families at their doorstep with gifts and things. It would just seem weird after everything that, They've been through as a family. They've gone through together with the Lions. The Lions have always stood by Matthew Stafford. There's never been a reason to not want to stay in Detroit apart from losing. That's the only problem, yes. And so if that is the ultimate you know, straw that breaks the back of the Stafford time in Detroit, okay, I get that. But it doesn't seem like you would do it in this way. You would leak it to the media and go about it in this way. 
I could envision Matthew Stafford just walking into the an office with the Fords and Bob Quinn and Aperture saying, guys, listen, I just want to be traded. Whatever you guys can do, try and move me. I would appreciate everything you've done for me. I just want to try something else. I would envision it happening that way, not this way. Right. It, that's why it seems a little fishy. Yeah. And it's a far-flung theory. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was a side of the discussion that no one ever talks about. It's always like the Lions should trade Stafford, you know, because he's expensive. Maybe he's not the a top five quarterback, blah, blah, blah. But we never look at it from Stafford's point of view. And, you know, Barry retired early. Calvin retired early. Maybe Matthew Stafford is just tired of the losing and either wants to go somewhere else or is going to fax in his retirement one day. You never know. So, Should have happened a couple of years ago by that account. He's 32. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah, he's gotten past the, uh, the, the age Calvin. where the stars retire from the Lions. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's pretty much 100% false, just like these other rumors. Um, I did want to mention the other other <laughs> side of this argument where – it's either do you keep Stafford, do you trade Stafford, or according to Dan Wetzel, what the Lions need to do is keep Stafford and draft Tua this year and follow the Kansas City Chiefs model like they did with Patrick Mahomes. Because look back a couple years ago, the Chiefs were a perennial, a perennial playoff team. Alex Smith was playing the best football of his entire career, and yet Kansas City still traded up to get Patrick Mahomes, had him sit for a year. They traded Alex Smith, and of course, Patrick Mahomes becomes the best quarterback probably in the NFL right now. Now, there's no guarantee that that would happen with Tua, and in fact, I think it's even riskier to do that. But the the, the case to be made, I think, is, sure, Matthew Stafford is great, but it's been 11 years, and you still haven't done anything with him. Maybe he's not 100% the problem, but maybe you just need to try something else. You and me really like Dan Wetzel. I think a lot of people in the state of Michigan like Dan Wetzel, a writer for Yahoo, and I respect all of the things that he writes. You know, I respect him as a reporter, so I'll give this some credence. What is hard for me to stomach is being a passionate Lions fan, you as well. Um, There are so many other areas of need on this team. And quarterback just doesn't seem to be the main area of concern. And I know for the longevity and the future of the franchise, you only have the number three pick once in a while, and you hope you don't have it again for a long time. Do you want to spend it on a quarterback? Especially when Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round, once once in a generation type talent. But other quarterbacks in the NFL aren't always drafted in the first round with your first pick in the draft. When you have a talent at cornerback, like Okudu is from Ohio State, or what's it, how do you say his name? Jeff Okuda. Okuda. There are other areas, and that's who the Lions are projected to pick right now in a lot of the mock drafts going to defensive back. It would be hard to watch the Lions draft a quarterback. You did it 11 years ago with Matthew Stafford with the first overall pick, and it still hasn't worked. What makes you think it's going to work this time? There, That's the thing. It's a bold, risky move, but you could have looked at the Chiefs at that time and said, hey, there may be a piece or two away from going to the Super Bowl with Alex Smith, and you give up draft capital to go get a guy you will not play the next year. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact same thing the Lions would be doing if they were to do this. I am more risk-averse, so I would say no, do not do that, especially because Tua is coming off that hip injury. And I know they're going to say, 
He's going to be fully healed. It won't bother him, but he's also been banged up his entire collegiate career. And if you're going to take a big risk like this, you have to be 100% certain, as the Chiefs were, that this is going to be your franchise quarterback and he's better than your current franchise quarterback. And I just don't have that same feeling with Tua that the Chiefs had with Patrick Mahomes. I do that for Joe Burrow. I would do that for Joe Burrow as well. But that's still even risky. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the quarterbacks taken in the top 10 the last couple of years. None of them have won playoff games mm-hmm. except for Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. He has been the only one. Jared Goff a couple of years ago took a team to the Super Bowl. The Lions fans would take that. They would Get, take that. Getting to a Super Bowl. So maybe maybe there's there needs to be drastic change in Detroit. I'll give you that. 50 years of doing nothing and 11 years of doing nothing with Matthew Stafford. What makes you think it's going to work? Right. You don't know it's going to work, yeah. but it's something different. Now, what makes you think keeping Stafford and not drafting Tua is oh, going to work? That's what you I'm don't saying. Know. Like, what makes you think history has shown it's not working, and it hasn't worked ever in the Super Bowl era? Why remain the course when it's proven, history has proven it won't work? Right. So. And, well, the lines say that they're just a piece or two away. Of course. And if they truly think that, the last thing they want to do is draft a quarterback with number three, because they could get that impact piece, the Yakuda, or if Chase Young falls, or anybody at that top spot, they could get that one piece. That's That would just be counterintuitive if they didn't. i tell you why it's not going to happen. Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are coaching for their jobs, and drafting and signing for their jobs. If it doesn't work this year, they're out of jobs. They will be let go if Matt Patricia's group regresses or misses the playoffs emphatically if they're if they miss out by a game on in week 17 i could very much envision the ford saying wow you were close well we'll, you'll be another chance you know i could easily see that but if we're talking 5 and 11 again if we're talking 6 and 10 crashing out of the postseason midway through the regular season and no hope in detroit Tua is not going to save your job on the sideline guess what they're going to go find somebody that wants to work with tua and they're going to hire them to be the GM and head coach in Detroit. That's why I don't think it's going to happen. I think the bigger issue in Detroit right now is Darius Slay. Mm -hmm. I think they absolutely need to re-sign him, give him the deal he wants, and keep him in Detroit. Because if they trade him, they go from one or two pieces away to being five pieces away because he's that valuable in the secondary. The defense got torched last year, and he was your only good player, basically, only good consistent player in the secondary and you're going to let him walk because he's too expensive, that is not what championship teams do. No, but making saying. him the highest-paid defensive back in the NFL, is that what championship teams do? Maybe. That's, that's maybe what not. they're going to have to do. They're going to have to do it, and I think he's worth it. Okay. Who else do you have back there? Nobody. Nobody. This weekend in Michigan sports and what's coming up on your local sports leader over the next week. That's next. We wrap it up, the offseason podcast. Final segment here on the Offseason Podcast. It's our weekly local show talking about Michigan sports. Matt DeVries and Blake Froling with you on ESPN 100.9 FM. DeVries underscore Matt at B. Froling. We're sponsored by Line and Kugels, distributed by JPL Sullivan. It's the Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. Pick one up today. Welcome to the liney side. Talked a lot of football today. We did a lot of Big Ten basketball as well. And now we get you ready for this weekend in Michigan sports. Blake, the NBA All-Star Weekend is in Chicago this weekend. You ask, who's winning the dunk contest? Is your boy Pat Connaughton going to get it done? or maybe, My boy? Maybe. I don't know. Aaron Gordon, uh, Dwight Howard, Derek Jones Jr. 
full disclosure, I don't know who Derek Jones Jr. plays for. Oh, he might be the best in-game dunker out of these four. Okay. He is ridiculous. Plays for the Miami Heat. He's an okay player, but yeah. a really good dunker. Don't uh, know who Pat Connaughton plays for either. I know he went to Notre Dame. The Bucks. Okay. Solid contributor off the bench for them, and also a great in-game dunker. Okay. It's going to be Aaron Gordon, though. Ah. I think he's, he's still with the Magic. He's still with the Magic, okay. surprisingly. <laughs> uh, I think he is. I mean, they, obviously, they're all great dunkers, but he's got the dunk contest experience. He's younger than Dwight Howard. He should have probably won it a couple years ago against Zach Levine. I think he wins it this time. Fair enough. Red Wings play the Boston Bruins Saturday at one. Boston has the best record. Detroit has the worst. Yet the Wings have beaten them twice. I did see this on Twitter this week. Kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think maybe Detroit loses like 5 nothing. That would be uh that would not be out of the realm of possibility and probably would be expected with the way the Red Wing season has gone. I did see Cranes in Detroit put out kind of a they they got some comments from Steve Eiserman. Him and Jeff Blaschel were at a uh, business conference or a sports business conference panel, and he was asked about the, you know the process. And Steve Eiserman was like, "Listen, I didn't promise you guys wins in year one, and I wasn't brought in to win in year one. This was part of the expectation." And he said accumulating draft capital is the top priority. We need as much, as many opportunities as we can get at drafting potential impact players. And it started with uh, Maurice Sider last year, the off-the-wall, out-of-left-field, first-round draft pick uh, that was a defenseman. And he's turning, into be a really good, turning out to be a really good prospect in Grand Rapids. There needs to be patience in Detroit with Steve Eiserman. You got the guy you wanted. Remember when he was hired? It was celebratory around Red Wings for, for the first time in a long time. LCA was looked at as, okay, finally we got the guy we want, our, our greatest player of all time, one of our greatest players of all time, and our captain of the Red Wings. Whenever you think of captain of the Red Wings, you think of Steve Eiserman. He's here now. Got to trust him. You can't be upset with this. This is exactly what you wanted. They're going to have the best odds to get the number one pick in the NHL draft. Whether the NHL rigs it or not is another scenario, but they're statistically going to have the best chance at the number one pick. Michigan hosts Indiana Sunday at 1 on CBS. Joe Lenardi currently has U of M as an 8 seed, Indiana as an 11. So this is a big game for both sides, maybe even bigger for Indiana because they're a little more bubbly. Mm. I think Michigan wins. Yeah, Michigan or Indiana, excuse me, just beat Iowa earlier this That's week, right. and that was a big win for for them and their bubble status. Uh, Michigan State, like we talked about earlier, hosts Maryland. They are ranked ninth in the country. College Game Day will be there. Michigan State plays at six o'clock on Saturday. National television. I'm assuming Shulman and Billis will be there with Game Day, but I, I haven't I haven't looked for sure. But um, going to be a big day in East Lansing, honoring the 2000 national championship team with Tom Izzo and Michigan State. CMU women are still undefeated in the MAC. They host Bowling Green Saturday at one on paper. Should be a win, but you never know. Bowling Green coming in one in ten in conference play. Mm. Yeesh. Yeah. Better be a win. Mm-hmm. Or else. Uh another uh women's college basketball note. Mo Joyner had herself a game against Rutgers the other night. Uh seeing uh MSU, excuse me. Uh Rutgers, I think it was like 17 and 8 coming into Breslin Center and, and Michigan State, a game under 500. Uh, Mo hit a big three late uh, to put Michigan State up, and they end up getting like a 57-51 victory or something like that. So uh, Mo Joyner becoming an impact player for for Michigan State in her first year on campus. I'm not surprised. No. 
Very good player uh, under uh, Vani DeLong at Heritage High School. The men for Central Michigan, they are playing tonight against Akron in uh, in Mount Pleasant. That game tipped at 7. Akron, uh, CMU and Akron, and Chips looking to avoid a three-game losing streak. Adam Jackson, a good follow on Twitter, and he was on our show a couple weeks ago for anything CMU Athletics, and he put it out there that in conference play, Central Michigan has played just two games with a fully healthy roster. So... Give CMU a chance to maybe get healthy. A game on national television tonight in Mount Pleasant against Akron. If you can get through that game with a win, uh, that could really boost your confidence. And, and if Dallas Morgan can, can get healthy, if Devontae Lane can get healthy at the point guard spot, uh, Kevin Hamlet, a depth guy, has missed a few games recently. If you can get this whole group back together again, there, there are some knockdown shooters on the outside. David DeLeo, all-time CMU threes leader and all-time Mac Three's leader now after that performance at Buffalo last week. Uh, this is an important stretch for CMU. Health, the main concern, and you'd like to get one of those top four seeds in the MAC tournament, get a bye, and go directly to Cleveland instead of having to play a campus site game on, uh, on Monday of conference tournament week. Programming reminders coming up Saturday. Blake, you got the hill in the high for maybe the last time or the last couple times with the news coming out this week that, or last week, that Saginaw. Um, Saginaw, Arthur Hill, and Sass are all combining. Possibly. Not a done oh, deal. it's proposed. It's proposed. Okay. Not a done deal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are skeptical that it will be a done deal. Okay. I'll leave it at that. The plans sound good, though. Uh, the MLive article seems to make sense with the, with the plan they have for Saginaw right now, but I guess remains to be seen. Nonetheless, the games have been moved to Saturday this year, uh, 1 o'clock tips. Or were they on Saturdays last year as well? Don't know for sure, but uh, should be a fun one for you in Saginaw tomorrow. The Northwood Grand Valley, 4 and 6. The men will be on the deuce because Michigan State hosts Maryland at 6. So a packed day of hoops on 100.9 FM tomorrow. Then we've got coverage of the NBA All-Star Game at 7.30 on Sunday. The Northwood Coaches Show followed by the Tom Izzo Show on Monday. Bay City Central at Midland Boys on Tuesday for you, Blake. And then Northwood Wayne State on Thursday followed by MSU Nebraska at 7.30. So... Tons of basketball coming up over the next week. It's a great stretch, isn't it? A great stretch. A lot of fun. Uh, how does the SVL feel for you heading into the, the postseason? You know, there's, there's teams on both sides that you could expect to make runs in the, uh, in the MHSAA tournament, but is one or two programs separating themselves on either side? Midland was undefeated. They've stumbled a little bit lately for the girls. Dow seems to be the odds-on favorite right now, followed by you know a Carmen Ainsworth in the South. They are a force to be reckoned with down there, and Carmen Graham Blake on the boys seem to be the, the one-two punch. Yeah, I think the SVL is very top-heavy this year on both sides, specifically with the boys. I don't really... I think maybe Grand Blank has the best chance on the boys' side to make a run. Mount Pleasant is undefeated, but they, their strength of schedule is not very good. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're not a good team. Mm-hmm. It just means that they haven't been proving as much. And on the girls' side, Dow is really coming on strong. But again, are they at the same level that Heritage was last year? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Carmen Ainsworth also very strong, but and they are very highly rated in the MPR. I just don't get the feeling that we have any truly elite, elite programs that are going to win a state championship this year, unfortunately. Mm. Bulletin board material for uh, for some of these programs around here. Prove Blake Froling wrong. That's right. And he'll be there firsthand to see it all. Yeah. You I, ready? Of course, I'm hoping the SVL goes far. Yeah. 
I'm just, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's more uncertainty this year. How about that? Everybody just penciled in Heritage last year and the year before. It felt like yeah. there's no team you're going to pencil in this year. And the last couple of years, the person that's been the lead for high school basketball coverage for the radio station has come down sick during the MHSA tournament. Are you mentally and physically prepared for the long stretch of potentially six or seven games in a week? two or three weeks in a row. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I got sick. Brad got sick. Uh, if anybody has any home remedies for me, <laughs> or maybe I'll just get the bubble, like in Bubble Boy, and just stay away from everybody, yeah. then maybe I'll survive. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Until we talk to you next time, for Blake Froling, I'm Matt DeVries. This has been the Offseason Podcast. Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.